Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip you with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our communities. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood in the African-American community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Executive Director of Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell. So welcome to the Black Bar On Air. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and we are in the midst of our dialogue about daughters. Um, this is an eight-week series, and it's part of our National Save Our Daughters campaign that takes place May 8th of this year off of the successful um, National Save Our Sons Night that just took place on February 6th, where we had 111 organizations in over 60 cities engage in activities to encourage the relationships between fathers and their sons. And we intend to do the same thing, if not more, on May 8th by encouraging fathers um, to spend equal time um, nurturing and loving on their daughters. For more information on that, you can go to our website at www.saveourdaughtersnight.com. On the phone today, I have a very good friend um, and guest, Dr. Jeff Gardia. He is America's psychologist. He is one of the most widely sought-after experts in the field of mental health. In addition to his private practice in Manhattan, he has garnered a reputation as being a top motivational and keynote speaker, empowerment, and media coach. And today, we're going to be talking about the impact of fatherlessness on girls. How you doing, Dr. J? I'm doing well, Kenneth, and as always, it's a pleasure to be working with you, and thank you for the great work that you and your family have done uh, in saving our sons and now saving our daughters. Uh, I thank you as a member of uh, the community, the community of the United States. <laughs> I thank you so much. We have so much work um, to do, and I want to let you know, and I'm not sure, I know we sent you the DVD, um, but I wanted to also publicly thank you for your participation in the filming of Spit and Anger, um, A Venom of a Fatherless Son. Um, several things happened with that documentary you may be unaware of, and i am uh, share a couple with you. One is that we were able to screen Spit and Anger in over 60 cities across the nation. It was entered into five festivals, three of those festivals internationally, and it continues to move. In fact, now... Uh, we've been contracted to go into the New York State Correctional Facilities to actually do training with inmates with respect to fatherlessness and the anger that they harness as a result of not having a nurturing relationship in our lives. And I owe much of that to you because you really was the anchor um, in that documentary with respect to how we tease apart the impact of fatherlessness on boys. So I want to thank you for that. Well, and I thank you for including me in the mission, and certainly that mission is touching so many men. Uh, and so, I, once again, I think that your work is uh, God's work, uh, and we want to bring more of our fathers and our sons, and now the new mission of fathers and daughters, because that is a particularly uh, troubling uh, situation, uh, set of situations in our community. Right. We tend to, before we do that, just tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days. 
Well, more than anything else, uh, I'm an assistant professor at Tour College of Osteopathic Medicine in New York City, and I teach behavioral medicine. And, you know, again, God is great. Um, it's gone beyond behavioral medicine now to cultural sensitivity, cultural competence, and helping doctors in training uh, to open their hearts uh, to understand the health disparities, especially in African-American and Latino communities, and to be able to better connect with these patients uh, so that they can provide more cultural uh, competent services and help our people who are at adverse risk for so many health issues. So that is um, the bulk of my work these days. And of course, uh, the usual television interviews and articles and, uh, and um, working on journals and so on. Um, I had a chance to um, interview Dr. Janet Taylor. She's part of the series as well. And, and a good friend of mine. And she's just an awesome, awesome person. But she was sharing with me, just as you just did, um, some of the things that she is currently doing. And I said to her, isn't it interesting how um, God will take our primary gift to do such a larger work um, that we often believe is not part of our gift but tends to be the engine um, that does all of the great work that's necessary to do for our families. And I, as you just described what you were doing, I said I was just thinking to myself, here's another example where God is giving, giving someone a gift to do a much broader work. Yeah, it, and I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. I really do believe that when you operate in the light and you operate uh, under the, the, the grace of God, uh, even if you don't believe in God or a uh, higher power, that if you're working uh, within something that's positive, uh, it attracts only positive energy. It's not like a magnet with positive and negative. Mm -hmm. This is more of a spiritual magnet where positivity uh, attracts positivity. And I, and I think that's what Janet Taylor has been doing, what I've been doing, what you've been doing. Uh, we need uh, soldiers, uh, boots on the ground, as the popular term goes, uh, in order to help so many uh, who perhaps uh, maybe in denial as to some of the major issues uh, that they go through, and that may be generational and, and hurting their children. Mm -hmm. You know, both the National Save Our Sons Night and National Save Our Daughters Night came out of what has been taking place around the country with respect to particularly um, our black men and boys and their interactions with police. And as I watch um, the media, um, and the overwhelming um, Im images of what was coming out of Ferguson and other places around the country. You know, I labored over the Christmas holiday, you know, what I and Fathers Incorporated was going to do because I knew I wasn't going to go out into the streets and protest. And what God gave me was to do what you do, um, and that is collaborate the conversation and uplift the image um, of fathers and families and their children so that we can begin to counteract uh, counteract the images of all of the things that we were seeing taking place with respect um, to how news, um, the news media portrays us. And one of the things that people, or one of the things that folks were was asking me as I was doing National Save Our Sons Night was, why was I forgetting girls? And my answer to them was, as a father of four girls and a boy, nothing about my love for my son says that I don't care as much for my daughters. And I think that we are in an atmosphere where 
folks are hurting so much that if you don't mention them by name, they somewhat feel like you don't care about them. In this space, do you think that we are ignoring our girls? I don't, uh, not at all, um, only because uh, the love of our children uh, is equal. We spread that love equally, even though we may have our favorites, or in this case where we see that boys are at particular risk uh, for perhaps incarceration, why we had to pay attention to that particular aspect of the family and address uh, what happens when boys are not, um, uh, when they don't have their fathers in their lives, how they have very self-destructive and very angry, uh, enrageful behaviors that uh, put them at risk for being in trouble with the police and for incarceration and for health issues and for future problems with their own spouses and so on. And so uh, now that we have done that, now that you have done that in, in, in particular, uh, and we've put the word out there, now we can work with our girls who have their own set of issues when dads are not around. So I always knew that this is something that you were going to get to anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to deal with who was more at risk uh, in this present political world that we're in, this political climate where the boys are the first one, black boys are the first ones to be at risk. Now we're looking at a different set of issues with our girls uh, where they are at risk uh, later on in their lives uh, for a particular set of issues, and that has to be addressed now. Everything is in divine order. Mm -hmm. What do you believe is the approach that we should be taking um, to this conversation with respect to fatherlessness and girls? Because there are so many areas to which we can tackle, um, but should the conversation be any different than that of when we have it with respect to boys? I, I think uh, there are some commonalities, of course, <clears throat> as to what happens. Excuse me when you have uh, a child who feels abandoned. Uh, certainly there is the anger, whether it's a boy or a girl. Uh, certainly there are the issues with isolation. Uh, certainly there are the issues with acting out sexually, as children will tend to do uh, when they have been hurt in a particular way and can't identify those feelings. But I think we have to take a different approach with our girls, uh, only because they are more empathic, uh, they are more feeling. Uh, that's part of the way that we raise young women, and therefore their hurt um, is perhaps a little bit more complex or goes in a different direction than that of the boys and how they process it uh, in that they're able to perhaps function on a day-to-day -day basis, but um, later on in life, we find that they have particular issues that come up, especially in their relationships, especially with the kind of people that they're attracted to and the choices that they make that can be less than positive. Wow. You know, what is it about fathers and fatherhood um, is critical to the mental health of our girls? I, I think part of it is that, of course, the moms uh, in the African-American population um, really have been steadfast and have been there. Uh, fathers, and you've talked about this many times, have found themselves uh, in, in, in many occasions to be missing. Mm -hmm. 
and therefore uh, the mothers have become mother and father. But when the fathers are not there, um, the fathers are not able to model for these young girls, especially in heterosexual um, um, orientation, uh, what a good man should be. And too often, the father being missing leaves a void where this uh, young woman, as she's growing up, doesn't have perhaps the knowledge that she needs in order to make the right choices uh, in, uh, in the young men that she may be choosing. Right. You know, um, we often um, cannot recognize the signs, you know, of fatherlessness in girls other than when we attach them to sexual um, uh, behaviors. Uh, but what are some of the most telling signs of a fatherless girl? Um, certainly, um, we may see, because the father's not there, um, that old saying, looking for love in all the wrong places, uh, not being able to get that love from a father, uh, and therefore looking for that love uh, and not discriminating enough uh, in the choices that are made uh, in partners. Uh, that's for one. For two, more than anything, is this idea of the emotional rescue. We talk about this in psychology. Uh, n not being able to work out issues with a father who's absent means trying to work out those same issues with someone who reminds this young woman of the father. And who reminds them of the father? Someone else who's also absent in a relationship. Someone who may not be faithful in the relationship. Someone who may not be caring in the relationship. And so therefore they choose the same person that the father may be. When a father's absent from a relationship, and I do understand that sometimes issues come up between a father and a mother, and therefore a father may feel alienated, but I I just, in, in 9 out of 10 or 9.5 or 9.9 .9 out of 10 cases, I don't understand, um, no matter what the issues may be between a father and mother, how a father can say, well, I'm gone. In this case, because mom may not want me around, uh, I'm not going to be in, in, in a place that my daughter uh, can now have access to me. And therefore, that becomes a major, major issue, uh, just not having that father there and leaving young, uh, a young woman incomplete emotionally and psychologically. Yeah, you know, we're, I'm working on a, we're having a daddy-daughter dance here in Atlanta um, on this particular night, and we're going to do a commitment pledge, and we're going to, you know, almost not so much the purity bring um, and, and those things, but just so that dads can make a commitment pledge to their daughters. And one of the things I wrote in the pledge was committing never to turn your back um, on a girl, because and not a boy either, but particularly on our girls, because I think that each and every time a man in their lives turn their back on them, that it recalls the same moment that their father did the same. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, you're absolutely uh, right on with that, and therefore the emotional insult becomes even worse. You're, you're feeling, this young woman is feeling that trauma two, three, four times over uh, every time uh, their young man leaves or is not there or does something uh, that is um, uh, emotionally um, uh, injurious. And therefore, that's why uh, fathers need to be there 
to help their daughters to understand what healthy relationships are about so they don't get into negative relationships. Absolutely. You're listening to The Black Bar. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and we are in the midst of our series, Dialogue About Daughters. That is a part of our National Save Our Daughters campaign taking place on May 8th. Um, www.saveourdaughtersnight.com is where you can get more information. We're speaking today with Dr. Jeff Gardia, and we're speaking about the impact of fatherlessness on girls. Oftentimes, um, when we're talking about boys, you you will hear us speak about particularly our boys growing up in female-headed households. And ironically, when I get phone calls from moms, they are almost always looking for mentors or looking for some sort of assistance with respect to their sons. But almost never um, do I get a phone call from a mom who says she needs help um, with her daughter. Um, How do we begin to educate mothers that the positive, loving, nurturing, spiritually-led influence of a man in the life of their daughter is just as important as what they are uh, feeding to them as well. Uh, you know what, uh, Ken, I run into that same situation, too, where we see mothers will bring in their children for a session, and they make the focus of their attention, their sons, uh, because the fathers are not in uh, the, the the lives of the family, and they're much more concerned about their sons only because uh, we see with women in our African-American uh, and Latino um, populations, the women are the stalwarts, uh, that uh, young girls, uh, especially in our communities, uh, will still go to school. Uh, they may still get the good grades. Uh, they may look like they're not hurting, but in fact, they're really dying inside. And therefore, as they now begin to reach puberty, uh, as they begin to get their menses and so on, now we begin to see the sexual, the physical acting out, uh, the, the, the choosing of uh, friends who are not very positive, uh, perhaps uh, being uh, sidetracked uh, away from school uh, into a teen pregnancy. It means that if we don't address the needs of our girls with regard to uh, an absent father, that they may be okay for a little while, but eventually they do implode. And that's what we have to get mothers to understand that when the father is not in the home, it's not just the boys who are harmed, but the girls are harmed. They're harmed differently. We see the boys acting out earlier, but eventually the girls begin to act out as they get older. Mm. You know, not only do moms do that, but if you look at the structure of mentorship programs around the country, they spend a lot of time on gender-equal mentors, meaning women to girls and, and men to boys. And so they often do the same thing that we're describing um, that moms are looking um, for help for. But how are we supposed to do um, what we need to do for our girls when the structure um, that is created to provide mentorship when fathers are not in place also doesn't recognize the importance of um, trying to figure out ways while at the same time keeping our girls safe because we're clear about that? But how do we put together programs so that girls can find a way to get what they need in terms of uh, uh, raising 
uh, principles and morals with respect to manhood? Well, the, you, you, you have this very well thought out because my concern, uh, and I'm so happy to hear you say this, um, and I think it speaks to really uh, how you look at this situation, how you've looked at it, Ken, uh, in a very therapeutic manner. We have to be careful about the safety of our girls uh, because they are much more vulnerable with regard to the issues of sexuality and having a male mentor. So knowing that we want to keep our, our girls safe in that way, we can put many safeguards in place to make sure that there's not a situation situation where a male mentor for a young girl where they're isolated in any kind of a situation but as part of that that perhaps there should be more of a balance that instead of just a female mentor for a young girl or male mentor for a young boy why not have a male mentor a female mentor for a girl and the same for a boy and I think that goes even further in showing the yin and the yang of having you know both of the sexes there so that they can see how females think and what they need how males think and what they need and the interactions that we have in the world um, when we're looking at our LGBT population uh, for our young girls and our young boys I think some of the same accommodations should be made uh, so that they understand what the balance is between males and females and what the particular needs are for LGBT versus that of heterosexual. Yeah, you know, as a father of four girls, it's kind of, you know, and knowing what I know about this work and knowing what I know about the dangers that are out there in our society, you can almost become paranoid with respect to your children. Um, as a father who is in the household and who is very actively in the lives of their children, particularly their girls, how do you not become overprotective? Well, there, there's no way not to become overprotective. You always have those feelings of being overprotective uh, for our children. Um, but at the same time, it's also having some faith. You know, having faith that you have empowered your children enough either as a mom or as a dad to be able to protect themselves to be able to know what boundaries are with regard to behaviors and sexuality uh, by educating them constantly whether through videos or through television certain television shows you know kids love TV they love the internet certain places you can take them with regard to getting that information certain places that you want them to stay away from but having whether it's just a mom in the home or whether it's just a dad in the home or both having dialogue constantly as to what's going on in their lives and what's going on with their relationships with teachers and mentors and others in the community. Yeah, you know, I bring that up because, you know, I think that people believe oftentimes that girls with fathers don't have challenges and fathers who are in the lives of their children don't have challenges as well. I'll give you this short, you know, really contrasting story, and I want you to kind of tell me um, how do you, um, as a father, you know, how do you get around this? A really good friend of mine who runs a DV organization um, on the East Coast was in a extremely um, deep, uh, damaging domestic violence relationship. 
um, she had a very active and loving father in her life. And I interviewed her last year, October, around um, domestic violence, particularly with respect to men. And I asked her this question. I said, uh, statistics tell us that when you have an active father in your life, you are not supposed to be in this situation. How did you find yourself um, in this situation, and where was your father? That's what I asked. The question to her was, where was your father? And this is how she answered. She said that I knew in that situation that if I told my father the relationship that I was in and what I was going through, my father would have had no um, bones about spending the rest of his life in jail for killing that man. And I just thought to myself, wow, how do you um, build the kind of confidence in your daughter that allows them to give you that kind of very deep and emotional information and at the same time have them understand that they that they don't have to be the ones to protect you? Uh, I, I think it's a great question. I, I think it's uh, an incredible uh, story. And what sticks out to me is a person that um, would say or would convey to their daughter that if anyone ever touched them in that way in a relationship, that that person would be dead tells me that perhaps we don't op we don't operate in a vacuum ken mm -hmm. and so i think this may speak to perhaps this person who may never have been physically violent this father certainly there was something there um there was a, an anger a rage uh, a forcefulness that was out of or beyond the norm uh, that was scary to this young woman where she could not go back to her father uh, about this and i think that's where we need to be careful letting our children know that yes we love you we will protect you but at the same time not putting yourself in a situation that you are going to solve situations with violence. I think a person who would be willing to kill someone and go to jail and never see their daughter again because of a domestic violence situation might be the same individual who might be involved in a road rage or might be involved if they were ever disrespected by someone else responding in violence. So from a psychologist's point of view that's where I see that and so I think we need to check ourselves when we show that kind of intent that kind of potential violence that we can get involved in I think that can hurt our children more than showing them how much we're willing to protect them so you must find that balance yeah no because I resonated with the story particularly um, after seeing the videotape of Ray Rice and his then girlfriend in the elevator I had a visceral reaction to that when I saw that, you know, and I had that, you talk about that moment and sense of rage, um, particularly when you put your own daughter in that position and you begin to question what you would do if that was your daughter. And I just thought about, you know, dads across the country who was watching that saying to themselves that that outcome would have been so much more different and such a, I guess, a natural man thing to think about and to say um, when you see that with respect to a girl and oftentimes will engage in that. Uh, I think about the same thing when it comes to bullying. I mean, there have mm -hmm. been certain stories where 
Um, there was one story in particular, and I can't remember where this gentleman was, where they were they were bullying his daughter on the bus, and the next day he went onto the bus, and it is not funny, but he went on the bus and he confronted the kids, and in fact hit one of the kids um, who was bullying his daughters. And I remember seeing the Facebook comments, and they were all over the place with respect to how dare he do that. But for most of the men, um, their comment was, I understand. Right, right. And and we do understand because I know viscerally that's where we want to go. But the, the reality is that we end up hurting our children more because basically the message is, if you get involved in a situation like that, I'm going to take care of it, and I'm going to take care of it in a final or a terminal way. And all that does, and as we saw with the young lady that you talked about, is that the person now becomes afraid to bring this back to a parent. And then what is the outcome of that? Then she is involved even more. She's at risk even more. She's exposed even more to additional domestic violence. So, yes, we want our children to know that we will do anything to protect them, but we also want to let them know that they can, if anything else, always come to us and we will work with them uh, in order to find a resolution to the issue. On the Ray Rice situation, I felt the same way you did, but I know the way that I would handle that is instead of getting someone to beat him up or attack him, because I know I couldn't do it myself, right? That's, that's <laughs> right. A, what I would do is, is, you know, pull my daughter aside, get her into counseling, and find out what the hell is going on and whether this relationship should continue to go forward, make sure that he gets some help. I would prefer that she no longer be married to him, uh, number one. And number two, uh, advise her on how to take an order of protection, how to get uh, legal action against him, uh, what she needs to do to protect herself in the future from him and someone else. To me, that is much more constructive versus I'm going to have someone knock him off. Wow. Um, Dr. Jeff, i got one last question for you. I'm posing this question to all of our guests um, on this series. If God gave you the power right now to eliminate one issue for our girls, what would it be and why? I, I, I would say the biggest issue is the fact that our young women can be so strong uh, that quite often when they are working with a physician or a psychologist uh, and they are dealing with a depression, for example, or some sort of a depression that may lead to some sort of a cancer, that it is not picked up, it is not diagnosed. And so I think the way to eliminate that situation is by finding uh, what the red flags may be for our young women as to whether they are uh, in many ways um, um, keeping that pain inside, uh, that they're not showing what it is that they are suffering from or that they may be depressed. Uh, so we as mental health providers, as physicians, have to be able to recognize when our young women are suffering. I want our mothers to understand that. I want our fathers to understand that. But more than anything, I want our young women to be able to understand when they are repressing a lot of issues that are eating them up inside and causing them to act out uh, in a way that is very, very self-destructive, to recognize the pain and to deal with it. Wow. Dr. Jeff Gardia, thanks so much for joining us um, on the Black Bar. Let's tell people how they can contact you. 
Sure. Uh, people can go to my website. It's uh, D-R-J-E-F-F. G-A-R-D-E-R-E, drjeffgardier.com, or just go into Google, put in my name, my website will come up, and then, of course, you can uh, send me emails or uh, text messages. All the contact information is there. Yeah, and at some point, i got to get you back on to talk to you about your Happy Divorce app. I saw that on your website yesterday, and I was just intrigued about that. so. Well, uh, thank you. I, I, I am divorced, and I am happy now, but it took five years to get there, and we're trying to get people to take a little bit more of a shortcut with a healthy uh, divorce app. If you can't find it uh, on iTunes, contact me, and I'll make sure to get you uh, a copy somehow. Thank you so much. Once again, you've been listening to The Black Bar on Air. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and you are in the midst of our series, Dialogue About Daughters. It is part of our National Save Our Daughters Night campaign. That takes place on May 8th. For more information on that, you can find us at www.saveourdaughtersnight.com. Be blessed. You've been listening to The Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring you the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at www.fathersincorporated.com, on Twitter at F-A-T-H-E-R-S-I-N-C-O-R-P, and follow us on Facebook at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, your self-sacrificing devotion to your purpose in life and your unwavering faith will carry you through the times of difficulty. Dr. Rev. Martin Luther King. Until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.